right, well, let's take our Bible tonight and turn to Colossians chapter number two. Colossians chapter number two, and as you're finding that, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's word, Colossians chapter two. We're going to read uh, verses 11 through verse number 15. Colossians 2, 11 through 15. And the Holy Word of God says this, In whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him, through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Lord, we're grateful to be again together. I pray, Lord, you bless now the preaching of your word. Help me to clearly communicate the truth found in these passages, or this passage here. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to uh, realize the truth of these pas- this passage. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're making our way through the uh, epistle of Colossians, and uh, Paul here is encouraging the church there at Colossae and explaining who they are in the Lord and what Christ has done for them and who Christ is. And really, I was thinking about this really in the first couple chapters of this epistle, we're getting a really good uh, Christology lesson, and uh, we're learning about who Christ is and what Christ did for us, and uh, tonight we're going to look at a little bit more of what Christ did for us and our standing in Christ. Now, last time uh, we were in this passage, which was a couple weeks ago, Uh, we had, uh, uh, um, last Sunday we had a, a special patriotic message, and the Sunday before that we had Vacation Bible School, and then and then the Sunday before that, we were here, but um, in that passage uh, that we studied last time, it ended with verse number 10, and says, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and, the, and power. So, so last time, we learned that Jesus is all-sufficient, and he is enough, and that we need nothing else to be accepted and loved, that he accepts us and loves us, and there's nothing we can do to be accepted or loved more than we already are in him. His love for us is not dependent upon our performance or anything we do or don't do. And uh, I'm thankful for that truth, that uh, he loves us with an everlasting love. And it's like, well, hey, I didn't read my Bible today, so he must not love me as much as he did yesterday when I read my Bible. No, he loves me still with an everlasting, infinite, uh, agape-type love. And I'm grateful for that truth. But now in this passage that we just read a moment ago, verses 11 through 15, uh, Paul wants to inform the believers that they're there in Colossae who they were in Christ and what they all had in common and the truths that they could uh, rest in and stand in. And I was thinking about the, the old the game that maybe you uh, have played before. 
Uh, I played it a few times. It's called the. It's called Guess Who, and I think there's a picture of it there on the screen. And it's where you have all these different people there that that come up, and you pick one that's your person, and then the other person has to ask questions like, okay, is your person a uh, a boy or a girl? Is it? Uh, do they have? If, if it's a boy, okay, does he have hair? Um, or does he have glasses on? And then, and if it's no, then you start uh, putting all the glasses down, or uh, you know what I mean. And and so in that game, there's there's some commonalities, some things that, that, that some of the people have in common. Some, there's some who they have glasses, or again, they have hair, or facial hair, or um, a red shirt, or whatever the case may be. Well. As believers, we have these things that Paul goes through and lists, um, and I'm going to kind of simplify them a little bit. Um, he uses better language than I am going to use, but I'm going to kind of simplify it a little bit to help us uh, catch it. But what are some things that we who are believers all have in common that we can, um, we can en- enjoy together, and, uh, and, and what is our standing in Christ? Well, Let's look at that tonight, four truths about our standing in Christ as believers that we all share. Number one, uh, as we look at number, verse number 11 here, we are forgiven in Christ. We are forgiven in Christ. And now it says here, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Uh, now, I obviously want to be very delicate with this tonight, uh, but... Um, basically, circumcision, uh, going back to the book of Genesis, was a sign of God's covenant with his chosen people, the Jews. And uh, it was a physical operation, uh, but it did have a very important spiritual significance and meaning as well as uh, being a physical uh, ceremony. Now, spiritually, it meant death to the flesh or a putting away of the sins of the flesh. And uh, it's, it mentions that here in verse number 11 in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So uh, even though it was a physical uh, ceremony that would take place, um, spiritually it had an emphasis. And, and God wanted uh, the, the nation of Israel as they performed this and as it was uh, performed for them to understand not just, the, not just to do the physical ceremony, but to understand the spiritual implications as well. Now, sadly, the Jewish people became more concerned with the physical ceremony rather than the spiritual meaning. And they placed more emphasis on whether you were or were not circumcised rather than what that meant spiritually for them. Now, in essence, when someone becomes a Christian, they go through a spiritual circumcision. Now, uh, this one didn't hurt at all. Um, but it was made without hands. And here it says in verse number 11, in whom also you're circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In that moment of salvation, Jesus Christ puts off the body of the sins of the flesh. And so there was a putting away of our sin. Now, here's some verses that uh, explain what Jesus did with our sins and what he does with them after we come to Christ, after we are saved, after we believe on him. Hebrews 8 and verse number 12, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Um, Now he 
doesn't forget like you and I forget. Uh, we might forget, oh, man, uh, where did I put my keys? Where did I put my wallet? Uh, we had to get Seth a, uh, those air tags, those Apple air tags. He kept those in his wallet. We're like, dude, you can't do that. You need to find it. So he has a really thick wallet now with an air tag in it and, um, and keys, too. Uh, so, uh, but it's not like God has a moment of lapse of memory. No, he chooses to remember our sins and our iniquities no more. Hebrews 10, 17 is a verse that says the same thing. He says, and there are sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Psalm 103, verse number two and three says this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Uh, Micah seven nineteen says, He will turn again and will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. So again, he chooses to, um, he, he forgives our iniquity. He chooses to remember our iniquities and sin no more. And then he also casts our sins into the depths of the sea. And then Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. See, when we come to Christ, the circumcision, the spiritual circumcision that Jesus performs here, um, basically uh, permanently cuts off and puts away our sins. In other words, we have been forgiven. Uh, verse number 13 continues this thought. It says, in you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh have they quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, all trespasses. That's your past trespasses, the things you did uh, 18 years ago, the things you did yesterday, the things that you did earlier today that were sins. He's forgiven all of them. But then also our present sins and future sins. As a believer, all my sins are under the blood and they are all, uh, chose, God has uh, chosen to forgive each and every one of them. Now, obviously, does this now give us a license to sin uh, because we're forgiven and all our sins are under the blood and, and uh, hey, all past, present, and future sins are forgiven. So, hey, it doesn't matter how many sins I commit, they're all forgiven. Uh, no, Paul asked, answered that question in uh, Romans chapter 6 when he said, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Uh, we ought not to continue in sin um, as a believer. Now notice here in verse number 11, it says here, made without hands. See, there was nothing we could do to make this happen. Only God could perform this particular procedure. Not baptism, not physical circumcision, not church membership, nothing. Uh, forgiveness only comes by the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 11, as it ends here, putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Uh, there's a Spanish story of a father and son who'd become estranged. The son ran away, and the father set off to find him. He searched for months, but couldn't find him. Finally, in a last-ditch uh, effort to find him, the father put an ad in a Madrid newspaper. The ad read this, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. Well, on Saturday, 
800 Pacos showed up <laughs> looking for forgiveness and love from their fathers. See, we all need forgiveness, and Christ offered that forgiveness to each and every one of us. And when we believed on Christ, he spiritually circumcised our, uh, us, and uh, our sins have been put away no longer to be there. So our standing in Christ, this passage we learn that we are forgiven in him, but that's not all. Uh, notice also that we are alive in him. We are alive in him. Verse number 12 says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. See, now Paul goes from the Old Testament ritual of circumcision and turns our attention to the New Testament ordinance of baptism. And in baptism, what are we doing with baptism? Well, baptism is an identification. We're identifying with what Jesus did for us on the cross. He, we identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And uh, we have the baptistry waters here, and we have us in the baptistry water, and that forms a cross, and Jesus died on the cross. So we're identifying with his death, and when we go under the water, we're identifying with his burial. When we come up out of the water, we're identifying with his resurrection. Amen. And we're not only identifying with what he did for us, but we're also identifying with what happened to us in that moment of salvation. So uh, Jesus died on the cross, but when we accepted Christ, our old nature was crucified. It was uh, killed. It was uh, dead in Christ. And then uh, it was buried. And then when we come up out of that baptistry waters, um, praise the Lord, it didn't end there. Like that would be a pretty lame bapti baptism. It'd be kind of a discouraging baptism. Who wants to get baptized? You're going to go underneath and stay under the water. That's your baptism. Anybody want to sign up? Okay. Yeah, no one wants to do that because uh, when we come up out of the water, that pictures the fact that we are to walk in newness of life. It pictures the fact that we now have a new nature and we are alive in him. I want you to turn back to uh, Ephesians chapter number two. So two books uh, behind us is Ephesians. And if you go to Ephesians chapter two, Paul says it so well. I love this little passage here. It's just these six verses that uh, goes through the process that, that happened here on us being made alive. Ephesians 2, verse 1. He clearly says in verse number 1, And you hath he quickened, which is made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, aren't you glad for those two words there? But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. Yes, we were dead. We were uh, spiritually dead in our sins. We were dead men walking. But when we saw the light of the gospel, 
and we responded to that gospel by repenting and believing on Christ, we were made alive. We have been made alive in Him. Uh, we didn't need a new leaf. No, no, no. We needed new life, and Jesus offered us that and gave it to us that moment we became a believer. John chapter 11 is, um, remember uh, Lazarus had died. Mary and Martha were his sisters, and they were very distraught. And especially Martha, and she was kind of blaming the Lord, like, hey, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Why weren't you here? John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus declares, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And it Martha said at the next verse, Yea, Lord, I believe. Uh, when we believed on Christ, we no longer are going to be dead in our sins. Now we have uh, life, and, and we have been quickened. We've made, been made alive spiritually, and we will have not just spiritual life here on this earth, but we will live forever, and we will have uh, life eternal. We will have life everlasting in the presence of God in heaven. So we are forgiven in Him, and we are alive in Him. Number three, we are free in Him. We are free in Him. Back to Colossians chapter 2, verse number 14. This is a pretty awesome verse here. In verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. This verse tells us that not only did Jesus take all of our sins to the cross, but he also took the law to the cross and nailed it there forever. Taking it out of the way. The law was against us because there was absolutely no way. It was impossible with our sinful condition that we could keep the law perfectly. Remember, the law was our schoolmaster teaching us that we could not keep the law and that we needed a Savior. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, so was the law and its dominion over us. We have been set free from the law. Romans 7, 6 says, But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but now we're under grace. We have been completely set free. Julie and I recently went to an escape room to celebrate our 22nd anniversary. I'm not sure if going to an escape room is the best way to celebrate an anniversary. Um, but we actually enjoyed it. It was pretty fun. And, uh, you know... We're not, we weren't trying to escape from each other. Uh, that's not what we were trying to do. Um, but sadly, after an hour of working together with a few hints, we did not escape. And I think there's a picture of us. We did not escape. So um, it was, uh, we, in our defense, in our defense, okay, we went to a really hard room. So they have, they have different levels of room, and we went to a hard, hard one because the easier ones were all booked up. Like... <laughs> So, so we went and uh, we got close. Another 
three or four hours, we would have got out. <laughs> um, but uh, what happened was, I mean, even, even with the hints, because you can use hints, you know, and they come in and, and show you a couple things to kind of keep the ball rolling, and, and uh, that helped a little bit, but we just couldn't get there in the, in the time, even though I kind of, you know how a baseball player, when he goes up, he kind of points the bat, like, this is where I'm hitting the ball? I did that when, when they were like, okay, the record for this room that you're about to go in is 20, like 19 minutes. I said, I'm, I'm going to beat that. And they're like, okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I beat it the other direction. <laughs> we went way over it. Uh, but I was thankful that at the end, when it was all done, uh, we, we couldn't escape on our own. The girl working there came in and finished but we could not do on our own so that we could escape. See, Jesus came and lived a perfect and sinless life. He did what we could not do. He fulfilled the law. And then verse 14, what did he do? He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. He did what we could not do so that we could escape the bondage of our sin and the law. We have been released and set free. Romans 8, verse number 2, For the law of the Spirit is life in Christ Jesus, hath made me free from the law of sin and death. We have been set free, and I'm grateful for that. And so we have much to rejoice in tonight. We have been forgiven. We've been made alive. We've been set free. But number four, we are also victorious in Him. Now, verse number 15, this last verse of the passage, And having spoiled principalities, and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. See, throughout history, Satan tried multiple times to foil God's plan of redemption. I mean, even if you just consider some of the times even during the life of Christ, when the devil tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross. I mean, this isn't even accounting for all the, all the times that in the Old Testament that, that the line of Christ was uh, almost going to not continue on, but, but it did. Um, but you just think even of the, uh, of the time that Jesus was here on this earth. Remember when the wicked and insecure King Herod signed an executive order to murder all the children two years old and under in Bethlehem and the surrounding coast? That was an attempt by Satan to try to kill our Savior. There are several other times when it appeared as though the devil had our Savior trapped. Remember in the wilderness, when the devil tempted the Son of God to forgo the cross. And Jesus said, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Remember in the storm when Jesus was sleeping in the boat? The disciples, honestly, who were seasoned um, fishermen who had been in, you know, all kinds of different storms in the past, but this storm was different this storm, they thought for sure that they were coming to the end of their life. They thought they were a goner for sure. And uh, I believe that that was one attempt by Satan to try to destroy Jesus before he got to go to the cross. There's another time, as mentioned, when the people sought to kill Jesus, and, and it was about to probably happen when he was, of course, able to slip away unharmed because, uh, you know, he's Jesus and he wasn't going to go it until it was that time when it was the appropriate time. Well, now Jesus goes to the cross, finally. 
And he's humiliated, he's mocked, scourged, and finally crucified. And he's dead. And I can't help but think the devil rejoiced because the prince of life was now dead. And buried and secured, by the way, with a large stone that had been rolled over the door of the tomb. And, and it was even sealed and guarded. The devil celebrated that Jesus was finally dead and, and gone and out of the picture. And redemption's plan fell short. At least I'm sure that's what the devil thought. But you and I both know. But three days later, Jesus won the ultimate victory as he literally walked out of that, do, that tomb in his resurrected body. See, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. But it didn't even stop there. You see, as he, uh, as he ascended into heaven, he passed through the atmosphere, which was the domain of these principalities and powers. It says here in verse number 15, having spoiled principalities and powers. This is uh, the devil and his minions. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Ephesians 4.8 tells us, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave, gave gifts unto men. So as Jesus ascended up into heaven, it was almost kind of, I don't think this is what he was doing, but in our vernacular, it was kind of like, nah, 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 I'm the winner, you're the loser. Um, he is the great victor. We have victory because he won the victory. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56, The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is a law, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we now can live in the victory because we are in Him, and we know that we are on the winning side. Maybe you, like me, have recorded a sporting event uh, wondering, you know, wanting to watch it later, and then someone spoils it and tells you, hey, congratulations, your team won. And you're like, oh, I mean, cool. I'm glad they won, but I wanted to be surprised. But you go home and watch it anyway, and, and you're watching it, and, and uh, you know, your team's committing penalties. I'm a Raider fan, so I'm used to that. Um, and so it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of normal behavior for them. And the refs are always against us, too. Okay, <laughs> I knew I'd get a comment from somebody. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but you're watching it, and maybe your team starts losing in the video that you're watching, but you know in the back of your head, hey, we're going to win this game. It doesn't really matter. Things may look bad. Things may look not great right now, but I know that when this thing's over, my team's going to come out on the right side. And maybe we're feeling that way right now as believers. That, uh, hey, things aren't looking all that great right now for us. And, and, and maybe in your own individual life, you know, you're going through some tough times. Well, can I just remind you that you are on the winning team and the winning side as a believer? We have victory in Jesus, my friend. There's a man by the name of Eugene Monroe Bartlett Sr. And he is considered to have made a major impact on the development of gospel music. He was born on December 24th, 1885, in Waynesville, Missouri. Anybody know where Waynesville is? It's in Missouri. <laughs> I don't either. 
At a young age, he relocated to Sebastian County, Arkansas. Anybody know where that is? It's also in Arkansas, uh, where he grew up. And he was educated as a music teacher at Hall Moody Institute in Tennessee and William Jewell College in Missouri. In 1917, he married Joan Tatum, and this couple would go on to have two children together. In 1918, he established the Hartford Music Company. He served as the company president from 1918 until 1935. In addition to establishing the music company, he also established a shape note school, the Hartford Music Institute in 1921, and began publishing a monthly quartet magazine, The Herald of Song. He had a particular passion for teaching people to sight read music. And over the course of his career, Mr. Bartlett wrote more than 800 different songs. But in 1939, when he was only 54 years old, Bartlett had a stroke that left him partially paralyzed. After the stroke, he was left virtually bedridden. Although he missed traveling and performing, Bartlett continued to study his Bible during this very difficult time. And although he dealt with the physical strains of his limitations, he also looked, looked towards the eternal victory he knew was approaching. And during this very difficult time after his stroke, he wrote the words to his final hymn, one that we all know and love. And it would go on to be his best known and most embraced song. The song is an optimistic reminder of the hope of heaven. In the second stanza, stanza there are references to the healing ministry of Christ. What were the lyrics to the song he wrote despite difficult circumstances? It was a song we sang earlier in our service, Victory in Jesus. I heard an old, old story, how the Savior came from glory. Um, he talked about the fact that there would be uh, one day we would have a mansion in heaven just for us beyond the crystal sea. He talked about the healing of his cleansing power revealing. Oh, victory in Jesus. He was thankful for the victory that he had in the Lord Jesus Christ in the time where his life was very difficult and hard and dark. I realize that all of us are going to go through times that are difficult and hard and dark. When we do, let's remember the fact that we are victorious in him. And that while it may look grim at this moment, we know the end of the story. We know that we're ultimately on the winning side and that we're going to spend eternity with him as a believer in Christ. And so really, here it is, Christian brother and sister, as we go through this life, we have zero excuse for being down in the dumps. For being negative Nancy or negative Ned, whichever gender you are. Look, when we stop to consider our standing in Christ, it should cause us to rejoice greatly. Uh, Brother and Mrs. Rupel, um, they grew up in uh, First Baptist Church of Bridgeport, Michigan. And uh, their pastor, Dr. R.B. Willette, we had him scheduled to preach for us at the end of August. And uh, Brother Blake told me uh, a few weeks ago, he said, uh, Brother Willette, I um, want to let you know he's having some throat issues. And uh, then come to find out, it turned into throat cancer. 
some tumors that he had in his throat. Well, I was telling Brother Blake, it's kind of like a quarterback having a bum shoulder. I mean, that's like the thing you need to use as a preacher is your voice, your throat. And uh, I texted Brother Willette and said, hey, I heard that you're having some health issues, and if that impacts you, come, you know, don't feel any pressure to come. We, we'd still love to have you, of course, but, um, but I, I want to kind of give you an out if you need it. And he said, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I'm meeting with the doctor and, and praying through this, and I'll let you know. Well, he called me this week, and I said, hey, brother, how are you doing? And he said, I'm happy in the Lord. And, but, but he didn't say happy in the Lord. He happy in the Lord. His voice is a little shaky and a little rough right now. I'm happy in the Lord. And then he said, that's better than the other six dwarfs. <laughs> that's uh, Dr. Ouellette, uh something he would say, isn't it? I'm happy in the Lord, and that's better than the other six dwarfs. I thought, you know, here's a guy who is a preacher, loves preaching, tremendous preacher, and uh, wants to keep preaching. But now his voice is affected and has to be going through all kinds of different treatments. He, he explained on the phone, he said, yeah, I'm not going to be able to come. I'm not going to be able to get back in time for my treatments. And uh, the doctor wants me to be five days a week for seven weeks, and I'm just going to have to... I'm going to have to um, not, not be able to come. And I said, ah, oh, brother, I understand, and we'll, we'll catch you next time. And we're, we do have a plan to come out in 2024 for our youth rally, but his attitude was, hey, I'm happy in the Lord, in spite of the circumstances. So tonight, I understand that all of us have circumstances that are less than ideal. They're not amazing, right? Um, maybe our health issues are going on. Maybe there's financial issues. Maybe there's relational issues in our homes and in our workplace. Um, a number of different things. You fill in the blank. But we can still be happy in the Lord, can't we? Because of our standing in Christ. Those things don't change regardless of the circumstances. We are forgiven in Christ. That's a done deal. That's not dependent upon anything. That stays the same. We are alive in him, our living head. We have been made alive, and we have the promise of eternal life. We have been made free in him. We have the victory in Christ. We're on the winning side. So there's really no reason we should be grumpy, dopey, or whatever the other ones are, uh, complaining and griping and moping around how horrible life is. No, no, let's have the joy of the Lord as we consider our standing in Christ. And with that, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you tonight for your word that clearly declares who we are in Christ. The things that we have in common tonight. We are, as believers, forgiven, and we're grateful for that. Thank you for uh, making us alive. Lord, we were spiritually dead. And yet, in Christ, we are made alive. That same resurrected power to raise Jesus from the dead has given us new life. Not just new life here on this earth, spiritually, but 
the promise of eternal life in heaven. And then, Lord, thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. Thank you for the liberty we have. You've set us free. You've allowed us to escape, and you did what we could not do. And, Lord, thank you also for the victory that we have in Jesus. And, Lord, when circumstances are less than ideal, help us to remember our standing in you. And may we, like Dr. Ouellette, be happy in the Lord. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.